awesome. You guys may be seated. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. today by just reading the first 13 verses of Luke chapter 4. It says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This morning's text is a very famous portion of scripture, and one that I'm excited to dive into and break down. Dealing with temptation, that's the title of my study today. All of us are going to deal with temptation. Even Jesus dealt with temptation. And there's going to be times in our life, many times in our life, that we fail when coming across temptation. Something to understand about temptation is when we are being lured away from what God has commanded of us when we are being lured away from God himself. The temptation itself is not sin. However, when we partake, when we disobey, we commit sin. So today, 
perhaps we wonder, how do we fight temptation? What do, what do we do? Well, let's look at the example of Christ and how he dealt with temptation. I'm excited to get into this. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The very first word in this text today says, Then Jesus, meaning that this is after something happened. Do you guys remember what we studied last week of what happened in our text Jesus was baptized there in the Jordan by his relative John the Baptist and it said that the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove after Jesus was baptized keep in mind he had not yet begun his public ministry yet Jesus is at 30 years of age now and the Holy Spirit comes upon him at the moment of baptism. And then at now, in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Now being filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus. And you're going to see a progression in Jesus' life where he went from not being in the public ministry forum to then the Holy Spirit coming upon him to then going out in the power of the Holy Spirit to have that Holy Spirit move through him. Perhaps someone this morning can tell me what that experience is that we call it when the Holy Spirit moves through you. What was that? The upon, the upon experience. Correct. The third position of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life is the upon experience where the Holy Spirit moves through you. The first two being the with experience where the Holy Spirit comes alongside you to convict you of sin. And then at the moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit enters you. And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit moves through you. As Jesus left that experience of being baptized, it says, notice this, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You see, in our lives, believers, we're going to have a wilderness experience. There's going to be times when God will lead us into the desert, into desolation, into solitary loneliness. And this is a season in a believer's life. One that we shouldn't run away from when God is leading us to it. But when we are supposed to learn lessons in and grow. I'm reminded of the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness. And by day, a cloud would hover over them, which was the presence of God. And then by night, that cloud would be a pillar of fire. And through the wilderness, everywhere they went, they followed that cloud. And if the cloud stayed in the same spot for two days, two months, or two years, they stayed in that same spot. But then when the cloud moved, then they would follow after the cloud. See, God is going to lead you through the wilderness. Perhaps you're wondering, oh man, when do I get out of this season? When do I move forward? Trust that the Lord will lead you. 
that he's going to show you when it's time to move forward and be patient in this. In verse 2, it says, Being tempted 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. So now he's fasting for 40 days. 40, it's the number of trial, it's the number of testing, the number of judgment. Later on, Jesus would be whipped 39 times right before the number of judgment. Throughout the Bible, you are going to see examples of men fasting for 40 days like Moses. Now, I'm not going to challenge any of you to take a 40-day fast. Because unless God called you to do that and by some miracle you survived, it would be unwise to do that. However, Jesus commanded us to fast. Do you guys make fasting a practice in your life? Have you ever gone through a seasons of fasting? It's something that we should do. Jesus taught it. There's a, a book written called God's Chosen Fast. I'm going to read from you guys a, a portion of that, that book that I read recently. It says this, Neither did Jesus say, If you fast, as though fasting were something that the disciples might or might not be led to do, or as though it only applied to a select few apostles or prophets, preachers or leaders. He stated unambiguously, categorically, and without qualification to the mass of his disciples, when you fast. He left us in no doubt that he took it for granted that his disciples would be exercised to obey the leading of the Spirit in this as in praying and giving when the occasion demanded it. It is significant that the Lord dealt with fasting as a spiritual exercise distinct from praying. Though fasting and praying are often linked in Scripture and in experience, this is not necessarily the case. We should not think of fasting as a semi-detached house always joined to praying, on the contrary, it stands on its own grounds and may on occasion serve a spiritual purpose all its own. So when you fast, the purpose of fasting is to get our fleshly appetites under submission of the Spirit so that we can focus on the Spirit. You starve the flesh, and then when you have those moments of, um, I'm starting to get hungry, you're thinking about eating, you replace it with prayer. You replace it with something spiritual, with reading your word. And as you do that, your spirit grows strong. There were times in the Bible when there'd be a demon-possessed child, and the disciples would come and pray over that demon-possessed child and they wouldn't be able to exercise the demon that was in the child. 
And they would go to Jesus and be like, Jesus, we tried casting out the demon and he's not coming out. And Jesus said, you have little faith. This type only comes out by prayer and fasting. You see, there are spiritual strongholds. And sometimes those spiritual strongholds can be brought down by prayer and fasting. I'm reminded of Daniel by the river, Kedar, and he's praying and fasting for the word of the Lord to come to him. And the word of the Lord isn't coming. And weeks go by, and he's waiting and he's waiting and he's not getting the word of the Lord. He's seeking for God's voice in his life for to direct the nation of Israel, and it's not coming. And then suddenly, after those weeks go by, an angel appears to him. And it tells him, look, Daniel, I came as soon as you were first dispatched. As soon as you began to pray, the Lord dispatched me, and I was sent to you. But as I was on my way, suddenly, these demons, the prince of Persia, this demonic force, came against me and held me up. So I'm picturing now this angel in heaven, and God tells him, Hey, my prophet is, is praying, he needs this word. Send it to him. And the angel's like, All right, I'm on my way. And as he's flying through the realm of eternity, suddenly he's met in the air by this demonic force, this big bully, and he gets him in a headlock, and he can't go down, and he's giving him the noogies, you know, and he's like, ah, I got you now, and he can't get away, and they're fighting, literally translated in this hand-to-hand combat type of warfare. That's got to be intense, these angelic beings. And then, at this point, God calls upon Michael, the archangel, and says, hey, your buddy needs help down there. Go back him up. So Michael then goes down. And he comes and contends against this demonic force. And he prevails. And then finally that angel who was on his way originally gets to come down to the prophet and gives him the word of God concerning what was going to happen in the end times. See, what would have happened if he would have stopped praying? What would have happened if he gave up a little too soon? We might have missed out on one of the most awesome prophecies concerning Christ in the end times. An encouragement for us to not stop praying, to not give up. You have a stronghold in your life that's keeping you back from living in peace with the Lord? Pray and fast. There's breakthrough prayer. So as Jesus is now fasting for 40 days, it says that he was tempted by the devil. The devil, that word also means adversary. Against everything who Jesus is, against everything God is. It says, in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And that word for hungry, it's literally at the point of starvation. 
in verse 3. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. So note here, this is the first temptation. And what is Satan first tempting Jesus with? It's the flesh. It's the very thing that Jesus needs right now when he's hungry. He needs food. The Bible teaches us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Now look at this. Satan comes to Jesus and says, If you are the Son of God. Now, what's important to note about when Satan comes to him and is asking him this question, he's not questioning whether Jesus is the Son of God. He recognizes already that Jesus is the Son of God. That context would better be meaning, Since you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And notice that he doesn't tell Jesus, hey, since you're hungry, why don't you make the, the stone become bread? But he questions Jesus, since you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, why are you hungry? Make these stones become bread. The, he could have, Jesus could have created any food he wanted. He's questioning, in Jesus' life, God's goodness. He's looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, why are you hungry? You're the Son of God. Doesn't God take care of his children? Since you're the Son of God, why are you lacking in your life? Perhaps Satan has been tempting you this week to question God's goodness. Perhaps this week Satan was coming along and saying, Hey, how come you don't have that relationship? Hey, how come you don't have that house? God loves you, right? How come he's not giving it to you? Why? What about that job you, you've been praying about? How come God hasn't given it to you yet? That happiness. Why, well, how come God doesn't give you happiness? That's what Satan's going to ask in our lives. If God is good, why doesn't he bless you? And the temptation is then to think that God is not good because we are not being blessed. In Jesus' situation, his physical needs were not being met. In verse 4, it says, But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God. So the first temptation is a temptation of the flesh, and this is how it is met. When you are met with the temptation of the flesh, you go to the word of God. Jesus went to the word of God. Jesus quoted the Old Testament 78 times, and as he's quoting it here, 
from the first five books of the bible he quotes those twenty six times alone and he referred to the old testament as the scriptures the word of god the wisdom of god so now as jesus is combating what satan is tempting him with with what the word i wanted to look at where jesus got this word from where where is that in the old testament and if you go back into deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 you don't have to turn there i'm going to read it to you in deuteronomy 8 verse 3 it says so he humbled you allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So this was written to the Israelites by Moses. We're learning about that on Wednesday nights. And when the Israelites were in the wilderness, they were hungry and their need for food was great. And God allowed the Israelites to be removed from Egypt where there was plenty of food. Remember the Israelites would complain, oh, Moses, why did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die? We had plenty of great, good food in Egypt. Not realizing and forgetting how they were in captivity. And now they were brought to a place where there was no food. And God here in the wilderness was teaching them to trust in being obedient to God over serving their flesh. You see, in this life, we do have physical needs, but we also have spiritual needs. God is teaching Jesus, as he was the Israelites, that suffering is a part of this fallen world. So he allows us to be without our needs at times in order to teach us that he is our most important need and this is the importance of hearing from God you see Jesus quoted scripture because he knew scripture and this is why we must be people who read our Bibles every day Jesus is that word of God. In John chapter 6, verse 3, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, it says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing again in John 6 27 says do not labor for the food which perishes but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the son of man will give because God the father has set his seal on him in Matthew's gospel Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And lastly, in 1 Peter chapter 2, 
verse 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. You see, we need to be hungry for the word. This Bible is the only thing that's going to satisfy Jesus, his words, to us. You know, so many times when we come before the Lord, we already have our fill of the world, and there's no more room for us to partake of, of God's Word. Sometimes we have our minds so cluttered and filled with the flesh that we, we don't want to invite God's Word into our hearts and into our minds. You see, the Word of God, the Bible, it's going to keep you from sin. And vice versa, sin, it will keep you from the Word. So may we be people who are so committed to making time to read, to hear God's voice. And it may not just be out of duty of, okay, i got to put my clock in today and check in and then... You just go on with your day, but to really seek that relationship with Jesus. In verse 5, it says, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Notice the ability that Satan has here. He's able to show Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. Recognize Satan does have supernatural abilities. And in a moment, he shows them all the monuments of men. What I find interesting about this moment is that Jesus is being shown all the kingdoms of the world. He's seeing his creation and the things that his creation has made. And here is Satan. Satan is made by God. You guys realize that? Satan is a created being. God himself made Lucifer. He was an angel in heaven. And Lucifer, swayed by pride, by sin, rebelled against God and said, I'm going to ascend to the heights of God. I will sit on the most high. The five I wills of Satan. As we read scripture, we find out that Satan had a, some beautiful musical instruments as part of his gifts, as part of his ability. There are some scholars who believe that perhaps he was the music director in heaven, which is why our music in the world today is so powerful in the world. Just watch the Super Bowl today. You tell me. 
nothing against the Super Bowl. I'm going to watch it too, but tell me the power of music that we will stop an entire world event so we can enjoy some type of musical entertainment. And be careful, because at times, if you guys remember last year, the quality of music that comes out, it, it's very sinful. So we need to use wisdom on what we're allowing our eyes and our ears to absorb. And Satan showing Jesus, the Creator, you remember in John's Gospel, it says, In the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And then He created all things. That Word became flesh. That's Jesus He's talking about. So Jesus is there in the beginning, creating the heavens and the earth and humanity. Even Satan, He's creating Lucifer. And now, time goes by, Man is fallen, is separated from God. And here's this creature, Satan, showing him, Look, all these kingdoms, Jesus, I will give them to you. It's also important to know, Jesus, he doesn't debate with Satan or argue the point of Satan having the authority of this world. Because Satan does have authority in this world. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, it says, You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. See, look at the title that I just read of Satan, the prince of the power of the air. Again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. This title there is the God of this age. In John chapter 14, verse 30, it says, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me, said Jesus. And again in John 12, 31, Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So Satan has his time as king of this world. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, Satan was given reign in the world to infect us with sin, resulting in a fallen humanity. And because of this Satan now that he's been given that authority, he can give authority to people. The powers that be in our world that exist today may very well have been given authority from Satan. Now the deal that Satan is making with Jesus, he says, I will give you all these nations of the world that you see if you let me be your God, if you let me be your idol. See, Jesus' mission was to redeem a lost world. And Satan is saying, look, this is the lost world. I will give it all to you. The people who you are coming to save, I'll give them to you, Jesus. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. You see, in that temptation, 
perhaps Jesus could see ruling over the world taking the power of the world the fame the luxury and success in this life but it would cost the souls of everyone it would cost his own soul now here's something to note because you're you're wondering now perhaps well could Jesus have sinned did Jesus really have a choice did he have a will? Did he have free will? And it, it can kind of get a little confusing because you're like, wait, so Jesus couldn't have sinned. And then the question is, well, then did he have free will? This is the way to understand it a little better. Because Jesus is 100% God, he's also 100% man. In his humanity, he was tempted to sin. But in his deity, he was unable to. See the way that that works with Jesus? Why it makes Jesus so awesome that he is like us in human form, but he is God still. And because there is no evil in God, there's no wickedness in him, he is all good. It's kind of like saying, if the color red has the ability to be called purple it's like no it's it's red there's no way for it to just change that's god his inability to be evil it's his attribute it's truth it cannot change verse 8 and Jesus answered and said to him get behind me Satan for it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve so now this is Jesus's response first he says get behind me which means it means get away be gone leave me get behind me Satan in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus told the same thing to his disciple Peter. Literally saying, get behind me, Satan. If you guys remember in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. And he begins to tell his disciples, I'm going to be crucified. And where I go, you cannot follow. And all his disciples are like, what? And then Peter, seeing the look on all the disciples' faces, he grabs Jesus, takes him aside, and he rebukes Jesus. He's like, Jesus, hey, hey. And he cut it out. We're talking about crucifixion and death. You're bumming everybody out. What are you, what are you doing? And Jesus' response, he says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, the things of man. You see? When we go against the will of God, we are lining ourselves up with the will of Satan. So that's why he had to tell Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because that influence, that spirit to go against God's will, it's satanic. 
I sometimes wonder, man, uh, I wonder if my neighbors just hear Satan, Satanic. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now, Jesus said, it is written. Again, pointing to the word of God. Jesus bringing up the word when it came to temptation. And I'm reminded what a standard the word of God has given us to follow after. You see, in our lives, we're going to come across people who have all types of different standards when it comes to morality. And I have to ask them, where did they get those morals? Where do morals come from? Now, atheists will say, perhaps, that morals have developed over time as men have and women have grown and developed societies and at that point, man has created the standards of morality. And if doing so, that means that man can change their standards of morality. But if there is truth, we have to ask if there is absolute truth, who created it? So I would say that whoever created truth would be able to have the standard of what truth is, what is morality. So because of this, because we know that God created the world, that he created our Bibles, he created truth, we know that he has the authority on what is truth, what is right, what is wrong. Again, Satan, I'm sorry, Jesus, he said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And he takes that again from Exodus 23 and Deuteronomy 6, right from the Ten Commandments. You see, we are only to have one God. No idols in our life. We're created to worship. It's in our, our nature to worship. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. You see, God made all things. For why? For His good pleasure. So you were created so that God could find pleasure in your life. That He can look at you and be like, Wow! Look at my servant going forward in the call of God in his life. Doing that one thing that nobody else can do. Because I made him or her special and different from everybody else in the world. So when we try to go against the will of God and do what we want to do, we're going against the very reason why we were created. And by doing so, we put idols in our life. See, we don't have the idols like they used to in the Old Testament. We don't have the statues that we go on Sundays and lay sacrifices for or something in the closet that we go to and put incense around and worship it. No, our idols, our idols can be 
I'll just say it. I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, but it could be sports. It could be music. It could be celebrities. It could be success. It could be a job. It could be a person. It could be even your family at times. It could even be ministry. So we need to be careful not to let anything get in the way of God. Whenever something gets in the way of God, we are now worshiping that thing rather than God. We make ourselves less than that thing of whatever it is. Success. This past Wednesday, we were studying about idolatry. And it was in Isaiah when he refers to the man who he chops down a tree and he takes the wood from that tree and then he makes some garni asada with it. And he's like, yeah, he makes the fire and he's like, mm, this garni asada is so good and I'm so thankful for the wood. And then he takes the same wood and he, he makes a sculpture out of it. A little, uh, a little idol. And he's warming himself by the fire and he's like, oh, this fire feels so warm from the wood that I chopped up. And then he goes to his little idol that he carved out and he says, all right, idol, be my God and save me from all my troubles in life. And the prophet sees this and he's like, what is going on? The same piece of wood that you just burned, you're praying to it. How does that make sense? And this is what we do in our lives when we have idols, when we worship the creatures rather than the creator. When we worship the gift rather than the gift giver. When we worship the blessings in our life rather than the blesser. We need to have our eyes fully committed to Jesus as our Lord. Look at verse 9. Then he brought him to Jerusalem set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. So now Jesus is brought to the place of worship where they would worship the Lord. Put on the pinnacle of the temple, which on certain parts of the temple, it was quite a drop from the bottom, the base, because Jerusalem is on a hill. There was these little cliffs that would be on the side of the temple. And the building, notice, doesn't keep Satan out of it. Sometimes we, we think of the church building as like, oh, that's, this is the place. You know, Satan can't come in here. We're safe. We've got our, our holy water and our cross ready to go to keep out the demons. But notice this, Satan can enter the church. There were times in the Gospels where Jesus would cast out demons there in the temple from people. So we need to be careful. If Satan can't attack the church from the outside, he goes from within. So we need to even be careful in our own hearts and minds not to let Satan use us as his instrument. And he tells him, he tempts him, he says, throw yourself down from here. In verse 10, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, lest they, in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot 
against a stone. So he's saying, look it, since you're God's son, he's going to take care of you no matter what. You can jump from this temple and the, the angels, they're going to come down, they're going to sweep you up and people will be like, wow, look at how awesome this guy really is, the savior of the world. It's Je Jesus is the Messiah. And God is going to take care of you no matter what. Because, you know, how can a loving God allow harm in a person's life? How can a loving God allow you, the Son of God, to be harmed? How can a loving God send anyone to hell? Perhaps you've heard people ask, how can a loving God allow for evil in this world? For rape and murders and war and how can a loving God just stand by while all there's poverty and people being child molestation? And because of the evil that exists in the world, they say there is no God. Or they hate God. We think that God should protect us from death. Satan was tempting Jesus, your God should protect you from the death of the cross. You don't have to die. Now, I will admit, that's a hard question to answer for me. Why there is so much evil in this world. So I have to fall back on the basic truths that I do know of God. That God is just. He is all good. All just. All merciful. That because he has given us free will, the choice to choose him or to disobey, people, they choose to sin sometimes. Think of it this way. If you were God, creating everything in the beginning of time, let's say you were there with Jesus, right? He invited you, hey, Come, I want you to create, help me create the world. Would you guys have created sex? Jesus is like, hey, I think that here's a cool idea to help people procreate and have uh, generations after them. Do you think it's a good, good idea? And you see the blessing in it, and you're, you're, you're like, you know what? That looks fun. Yeah, let's, let's have that in the existence of humanity. Now here's another thing. We should give people the ability to choose. So now you've created two things. Sexual intercourse and free will. And because those two things exist, in the marriage bed, it's undefiled. And created the best world possible. But it's we humans who choose to bring evil into that, that goodness that he has created.
Let me read you the entirety of evil. I would encourage you guys to take some time and study the attributes of God. Remember, whatever God is, he is 100% of it. If God is good, he's 100% good. If he's all-knowing, 100% knowing, he knows everything. If he's powerful, he's all-powerful. And what he's not, he's none of it. There is no evil in him. Lord, your God. More recently, I was watching this movie where this guy, and it really portrayed Christianity in a bad light. But he wanted to show in this movie, this congregation, how God had freed him from fear, and that God could free other people from fear. And so he, he told the story of how he was scared of spiders in his youth. And then one day he got in his prayer closet and just prayed and said, God, just remove the fear of spiders from me. And God did that. He removed the fear of spiders. And to show everyone how he was no longer afraid of spiders, he took out a box of spiders and poured them all over himself. And people were like, oh, man, that guy's faith is so, it's so powerful. And then later on, a spider bites him in the face. That's foolish. You don't tempt the Lord your God. You see, we need to be so in tune and abiding with God that we're not going to do crazy stunts. You see, one of the interesting things about the world that we live in is that pain causes us to realize, suffering causes us to realize that there's something wrong in our world. Verse 13. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we saw three times all those three times, what did Jesus use to combat it? The Word. The Word of God. So if Jesus is using the Word of God to fight this temptation, how much more so should we human beings the Word? To be like Joseph. You remember Joseph, he was there in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife cast longing eyes on him and would constantly, day by day, tempt him, come lie with me, lie with me. Until finally she cleared the house out, got him alone, came to him and said, come to bed with me. And he said, how can I do this against the Lord and against your, your husband? And he ran, as we should when we are faced with temptation. And he ran so fast that she grabbed the cloak of his garment, ripped it off of him as he was running out, and he ran out naked. That's the type 
of fleeing that we need to have in our life. Jesus said, illustratively, if our eye is causing us to sin, pluck it out. If our hand causes us to sin, cut it off. And he's not speaking literal, but he's speaking that's the severity that we need to take temptation seriously. We need to completely abandon it. If your phone is causing you to stumble, get rid of it. Get a dumb phone. If that relationship, that workplace, the bar, that type of music is causing you to stumble, get rid of it. In Psalms, the psalmist asked in Psalm 119, said, how can a young man cleanse his ways? The response by taking the word of God. So that's how we cleanse ourselves. The word of God. How do we fight temptation? The Bible teaches us to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Now here's the cool part of our text today. We see that Jesus was able to overcome temptation he didn't sin was there temptation yes he was able to overcome I share with you all this morning that I've seen that happen in my own life in the life of others God has that ability to help us to overcome temptation there were certain things in my life that right away, when I got saved, it was like, okay, God, I give you these, these sins, just take them away. And he took them away overnight. Never looked back. Never went back to them. But there were other sins in my life where the Lord, he didn't take them away. He wanted me to let them go on my own. He said, I want you to, to love me so much that you don't want to do that anymore, Salvador. And those things were a process and a struggling and a day by day but as a believer God gives you that power to overcome so that you can go forward in victory and that's what life is like victorious Christian living doesn't mean that you're perfect it means that you are walking in the freedom that God has given you in his grace and his love and his mercy to put down to put away sin it gives you the freedom to not sin anymore God's grace doesn't mean we have freedom to sin it means we have freedom to go away from it so be not condemned this morning but be joyful that God loves you so much he's called you here he's called you to a place that he's moving now in your hearts and your, your minds to let you walk in His grace and His freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're going to have uh, communion, by the way, um, as my parents get ready for that. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you to thank you for your love, your grace. Lord God, we ask as a church 
that you would help us to overcome temptation, Father. We ask as a church that your Holy Spirit would empower us to be overcomers, Lord. We thank you, Father, for Jesus being sent to this world to die on the cross for our sins. Lord God, we, we don't deserve it, but that's your grace. May we be open to receive it, to receive your love. I pray, Father, that if there are things in our life that are causing us to sin, temptations, Lord, there's anyone here this morning who just needs the power of the Holy Spirit to help them to overcome temptation just raise your hand I'm just going to pray a prayer for us right now alright Heavenly Father for those who have risen their hand Lord I ask that your Holy Spirit would empower them Father to overcome those areas in their life where they are tempted. Give them such a conviction to be obedient to you, Lord. Give them, Father, your word. Prayer, Father. Worship in the Holy Spirit. God in their life. We love you. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to do a song as my mother passes out the communion.
from you guys out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul is reminding the Corinthians the meaning of communion. In 1 Corinthians 11, he says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's partake of the bread. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup, the new covenant in my blood. This do often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's partake of the juice. Heavenly Father, we pray for those sick among us, those battling with depression and anxiety. I pray that you heal them. We thank you that your Son has given us a new life. Lord God, just be and we be hungry for you. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A lot of uh, changes coming up with Redeem Fellowship is we're looking for God's leading on a place. So keep that in prayer as we uh, just seek God's will in all of it. And feel free uh, at any time to reach out to us, reach out to one another.
online on Wednesday night.